My text this morning is Luke 18, verses 15 through 17. Luke 18, beginning at verse 15. Then they also brought infants to him that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. When a new baby is brought into the world, good parents want to do everything they can to give that baby a good start in life. Good parents are desperate to raise their baby right. There's a part of them also that wants everybody at church to go, oh man, you sure raised your kids right, look at them. And so in churches all over the world, there are good and well-meaning parents that desperately want their children to behave, to be good examples, to make the right choices, sometimes to live the lives that the parents wish they had. But desperation when it meets a disposable income, comes with all sorts of marketing opportunities. And so the bookstores are full of books now claiming the right way to raise your children. There is one bestseller that's very influential in Christian circles. Unfortunately, the name of it is Train Up a Child, and it's by Michael and Debbie Pearl. The thesis of that book is given in the first chapter, the children don't have souls until the age of accountability somewhere in their mid-teens, and therefore they are to be trained up like dogs or horses, positive reinforcement for good behavior, and pain for bad behavior. It's a horrible book, and yet it's being touted and uh, recommended in Christian circles across the country. It has caused several deaths um, with parents trying to force their children to be good. This belief that pain is a good motivator runs very deep in our psyche. In our modern day, it's being touted by some of the best-selling authors. James Dobson in his book, Dare to Discipline. Bill Gothard in his Institute for Basic Youth Studies. Doug Wilson and whatever he's doing now. Ted Tripp and so many others. They advocate basically what amounts to behaviorism. With your children, reward the behavior that you want to see and inflict pain for the behavior you don't want to see. I wish I could tell you how many young adults that have been brought up with this sort of system believed that God inflicts pain on them when God is angry and that God gives them blessings in exchange for good behavior. These same young people, so many of them raised in the church, have told me they've never heard the gospel, and they're desperate to hear it. All of those experts will throw in Bible verses here and there, usually Bible verses that have been translated according to the bias of 17th century morals, or tried to fit into a modern box that won't hold them, but that's another story. Of all the child-raising books and sermons and podcasts that I have heard, and even some that I have unfortunately recommended over the years, there's one very crucial instruction that I have never read, ever, in a child-raising book in my life. Jesus said, let the children come to me. 
out of our desperation in the past 50 years to make sure our kids didn't turn out to be secular humanists or hippies or communists or feminists or any other ist. We've tried desperately to change their hearts by the law. Memorize the catechism perfectly. We'll reinforce that through beatings, through punishments. And we can reinforce the behavior we want to see. And in 50 years, I've never once seen it be successful. Because we forgot something crucial. Jesus said, let the children come to me. Instead, our youth camps and our youth groups have been filled with commands. Here's the right way to date. Here's the right way to dress. Here's the right way to marry. Here's the right kind of books to read. Here's the right kind of music to listen to. The right kind of shows to watch. The right kind of people to avoid. Here's why you shouldn't get tattoos or pierce your ear more than once or twice. And guys, of course, can never pierce their ears because that's ungodly. We've even manipulated the word discipline to mean exclusively the infliction of pain to manipulate good behavior. I always think in terms of the movie The Shining where the evil bartender is telling Jack Torrance you need to discipline your family. And how often is that used in that sense in the church? The Bible always used the word discipline to mean bring them to Jesus. Make them his disciples. A few chapters back I spoke about the gatekeepers. They're the ones who make sure that only the right people are in and that everybody else is out. Like Cain, they respond in anger if sinners are accepted, especially sinners with different sins than my sins. And here in our text, Jesus' disciples are acting as the gatekeepers for the children. Jesus is far too busy to deal with this. Look at them. They can't be disciples. They have nothing to offer. They said infants. These are anywhere from infants to toddlers being brought to Jesus. Look at them. They fuss. They smell. They, you can't have a kid throwing up on the master. They do weird things. They get in the way. They make noise. The parents wanted Jesus to touch them, to bless them, to hold them. Think about that. Jesus, to the multitude, was safe to bring your children to. And they did. But the disciples shamed them for it. He's too busy for this. He doesn't have time. Get him straightened out first. Let him grow up first. When they have something to offer, then bring him to Jesus. But Jesus' response is, Let the little ones come to me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. This fits in the running theme of the book of Luke. The idea that the kingdom of God is not built on human strength, on human willpower, on human goodness, or human ability. That's before or after we become believers. I spoke in Bible study. If you haven't heard it, you should listen to it. Babel versus Abraham. The Tower of Babel. They were using bricks and mortar to build the tower to heaven. You saw how that worked out. Contrasted to Abraham who looked for a different sort of city, according to Hebrews. He was looking for a a city with foundations whose builder and maker was God. Abraham's life was characterized by waiting. The few times he got into trouble was when he got impatient, decided to take matters into his own hands. 
as believers and as adults, we get that. We know what it is to have no power, to have no ability to overcome sin and no wisdom apart from God's free gifts of grace. We know and we resonate with Psalm 127, which says, unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. We've all experienced that. But for some reason, we turn around and expect children to produce the fruits of the Spirit by laying down the law. If you tried harder, you could do better. If you worked harder, you could get an A. If you paid more attention, you'd set the table right. If you were paying attention to what you were doing, you wouldn't have made a mess. You wouldn't have spilled your milk. One of the stupidest things we say to our kids is grow up, as if that can be done by the act of the will. We receive the kingdom as a gift of God's free grace, and then we teach our children that they will be accepted only if they perform to our standards. In other words, don't bring them to Jesus. He's busy. Take them home and get them cleaned up first, and then bring them to Jesus after they grow up. Bring them back when they have something proper to offer. Eventually, Jesus would ascend into heaven, and the church would pass through the ages, And they'd struggle with the same thing until we get to the 21st century when they build youth programs and children's church where we can send the children off to grow up before we bring them to Jesus. After they grow up, then we can talk to them about grace and the free gift of righteousness in Christ. But first, they have catechisms to learn, Bible verses to memorize, veggie tales to watch, homework to do. And the result is that our children are more stressed and more anxious and more restless and more hopeless than ever before. This past week I heard of an eight-year-old boy that was taken to the hospital having a panic attack. How can this happen? Suicide, drug addiction, alcoholism are through the roof, higher than they've ever been in our young people. And no one even wants to ask the question, why? They give the pat answer, well, if you just disciplined them right, they wouldn't have these problems. And we forgot something very crucial. The gospel is, let the children come to me. Jesus said, that's what the kingdom of heaven is all about. The kingdom of heaven is my free gift. In that kingdom, everyone sits under his own vine and his own fig tree, at peace, at rest, in the shade of belonging. You're accepted and beloved and welcomed. Actually, even before you were born. As Paul said, before you even did good or evil, you were loved by God. Why would we keep our children away from that? I think it's because we think that if we don't lay down the law, they're going to misbehave. So we have to lay down the law and make sure they behave, even though that has never worked. We can terrorize them into conformity, but that's not the same as obedience. As long as we think that building the kingdom is our job, and we are the ones that have to work hard to make it happen, we will always fail. For unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain to build it. We saw this dynamic when I went through the book of Zechariah in the days of Joshua the priest and Zerubbabel. They were 
given a very difficult task to build the temple in the middle of enemies, in the middle of the Persian Empire, to build a temple, and they got discouraged, they got downcast, they got downhearted. Yeah, we could work hard and build a building, but who's going to build the kingdom of God? And Zechariah, as we saw, saw a vision in chapter 4. And the Lord says in that vision, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, the governor, and to your fathers, and to mothers, and to all her in any kind of authority whatsoever, not by might, nor by power, but my, by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. This Holy Spirit freely given by Christ, who was obedient unto death, the greatest gift that he can give us, laying his hands on us and giving us his Holy Spirit. Peter testifies of him in Acts chapter 2 when he says, This Jesus God raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this, which you now see and hear. And that Spirit is still being poured out. That's the promise of baptism. And so coming to Jesus and bringing your children to Jesus isn't just another check mark on our to-do list that we do with our children. It's everything. Without it, nothing else matters. And you can discipline your kids, but without Christ, you're disciplining them to what? Instead, let the children come to Jesus. Let them be disciples of Christ. For he will pour out his spirit and give life out of death. That's the life that we seek for our children, isn't it? As Jesus said, for of such is the kingdom of God. But he goes on to say more in verse number 17. He says, Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom as a little child will by no means enter it. Now remember, he's talking about in verse number 15, infants. At most, these are toddlers of two or three years old. He's gently rebuking his disciples for acting actually exactly like the Pharisees in the previous parable. He's saying, you think you have the right to be here around Jesus because you've made all the right choices and done all the right things and you've left all and followed me. But you're missing something. God doesn't work on a barter system. These children, Jesus said, whom I am holding on my lap right now, don't understand anything. But they're mine because I held them and blessed them. If you don't receive the kingdom the same way, you don't receive it at all. Now this brings us to a discussion of faith. And so I want you to follow me here when we talk about what faith is. Of course, we know the definition of faith. It's the certain knowledge and a hearty trust. Let's talk about what that means with children. We're not born independent. We are born very, very dependent upon our parents. Dr. Kurt Thomas says we are born looking for someone looking for us. We're not only dependent upon our parents for food, shelter, protection from the elements, protection from predators. We're dependent upon our parents for teaching us speech and what safety is and what belonging is. 
There's so much that we learn the first year or two as children, as infants. But we're hopeless when we're born. So we're born actually believing, even though we don't put it into words. We are born believing that if we cry, someone will be there to help us. If we cry, someone will be there to comfort us. If we cry, someone will be there to feed us, to take care of our needs. As we get older, and if that trust is broken, then we lose that faith. And we end up with broken children. As we grow older and we understand speech, we are wired to believe what our caretakers tell us. That faith in what we are told is very, very deep and becomes a part of who we are. In fact, much of the work of the modern therapist is trying to overcome the wrong messages that we learn in the first few years of our life. Because parents are sinful, even well-meaning parents, and they teach us things when we are tiny that aren't true. And we believe them because we're wired to believe them. We are hardwired to believe when we're children. When our parents tell us something when we're one or two or three years old, we don't weigh the evidence. We don't do critical thinking. We don't examine all sides of the argument. We don't do scientific tests. We believe what we're told. That's what we're wired to do. This is why it is so deadly to teach our children that they only deserve love if they conform to our standards. Because you're teaching them something about God that is not true. So as Christmas approaches, you can play Santa with your children if you want to. That's a lot of fun. But don't ever teach them that they only deserve Christmas gifts if they behave themselves. Because this is teaching something wrong about God and about their own worth. With that method, kids only learn how to conform. They don't learn how to be obedient. For obedience can only flow from faith. Whatsoever is not a faith is sin. Parents are actually sometimes wicked. And they either wittingly or unwittingly teach their children that they are fat, stupid, lazy, worthless, ridiculous, deserving to be mocked, not worth any physical affection. And they grow up believing that God thinks the same thing about them. The children grow up believing messages that they were taught. You aren't lovable. You don't do enough. You don't accomplish much. You aren't thankful enough. You're too big of a sinner. You're too weird. You make too much noise. You take up too much space. No one wants you around. And the children grow up believing that message and try to make themselves as small as possible so that they're not noticed. Or as large as possible so that they can be noticed. Because children are also sinners and they respond to the messages they learn as they grow. And children are being taught that the most important thing in life is to never inconvenience or embarrass your parents. They learn that stupid children deserve to be beaten and shamed. They learn that children must always be on their guard because they never know if they will be ignored or the recipients of unbridled rage. 
you know how hard it is to live in a home where you have no idea where the person you care about the most is going to blow up at you or for what? That causes trauma that is not easily overcome because we're hardwired to believe. But Jesus said, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And Jesus doesn't lie. He isn't a wicked parent. He doesn't teach us wrong messages about ourselves. He doesn't mislead. His word and his character are completely trustworthy and completely safe. He doesn't use doublespeak or trickery or manipulation. His lap is completely safe for everyone. When he says there's no condemnation, in James he says there's no reproach, there's no mockery, there's no threats, there's no beating, there's no punishments. There's just the warm embrace of the Savior. And he means it. And he's the one that calls you to trust it and simply rest. He's saying just stop. Stop trying to prove yourself worthy of his love. Just stop. And in this world of pain and fear and wickedness and when we look into our heart and all we find is nothing but failure and sin and misery, he's saying, believe my words. Even more than you believe what your parents taught you when you were a baby. Because I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to give you mixed messages. Receive the kingdom as a little child receives messages. Believe the words, for unlike human parents, Jesus doesn't lie, doesn't teach things that aren't true, and doesn't manipulate behavior with words. Instead, he says, come to me and I will give you rest. He says, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. I will never leave you or forsake you. There is therefore now no condemnation. I will gather my lambs with my arms. In fact, Jesus says that's the only way to receive him at all. You either receive him like a toddler or not at all. Let's put all of this together. Let the children come to Jesus. Quit being the gatekeeper, laying down all the qualifiers. Simply let them come to Jesus. And how do you do that? Remember, Jesus is building on what he's already revealed to Moses in the first five books. So that's already been explained in Deuteronomy 6. How do you bring him to Jesus? Talk of him. When you get up, when you lie down, when you go shopping, when you come home, put it on the doorpost of your house. Put it on the door. Put it in the hallway. Put it in your living room. Put it at your dining table. In other words, this. Who is Jesus? Is he safe? Is he good? Does he lose his temper? Does he want his children to be seen and not heard? Or does he want to take them in his arms? Does he redeem his lost lambs? Does he take away sin? Is he merciful? Is he kind? Is he gentle? And is this how your home reflects him? Let them come to Jesus. In other words, parents, be conformed to the image of Christ. Be like him. Reflect that. Patient, safe, in control of your temper, gentle, 
And yes, Jesus gave instruction to his disciples, and sometimes they needed to be rebuked. But when he rebuked, he always provided redemption in that rebuke. He never allows his children to simply live under shame. Teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk in the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Shall bind them on a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. In fact, with everything you do, do it as a loved child of God, accepted in the beloved. And if you live like that, that's the message that children will hear. Let them come to Jesus. And this final message for all of you, even the children, children pay attention. Jesus welcomes you all. He doesn't think you're weird or stupid. He knows exactly how he made you. He knows all of your personality quirks. He knows all of your weaknesses. He knows all of your frailties. He's cleansing you of sin so that all that gold will remain. So that you will be you in all of your beautiful weirdnesses. He knows when you're tired. He knows when you're cranky. He knows when you need held and soothed. He knows when your strength is small and when your wisdom fails. He doesn't withhold his love from you until you start acting better. He doesn't think you need to be beaten and shamed because he already took all of that upon himself so that you wouldn't have to. He knows your weaknesses and he loves you. He is safe because he never lies. Even though it is true, we don't often see that in this world. In this world, we walk by faith and not by sight. And so often the Christian life is to wait. And so we wait a lot. But we know we can wait safely in him because he can't lie. And so we can come right to him. He's cleaning us up. He's giving us the right clothes. He's making us ready for heaven. And when that day comes and we go to be with him, we don't have anything to be afraid of. He will be right there waiting for us to climb into his lap. And he'll wipe away all tears. Now, whenever this message is given, there's always someone, always someone, who will say, yeah, well, Jesus knew how to use a whip, too. He used a whip on money changers, didn't he? And he called the Pharisees a brood of vipers. So hear me closely. He did do that. And if you grow up and start abusing the people of God and start robbing them in the temples before they can come to worship and do everything in your power to keep people away from Jesus, he will use that same language on you. But he knows the difference between an oppressive ruler and a little child. He knows the difference between a false prophet and a toddler. He knows the difference between a sheep and a wolf. The little children are welcomed. The whip is used on the oppressor. The sheep are safe because the wolves are driven away. And so we come as a child, not as a wolf. Jesus is safe for all of his children. He's not safe for wolves. But if we come as a child, then we can learn to rest. And we can learn to tell him everything in our childish stammer. John Calvin was very fond of that phrase. We come with him with the childish stammer of a toddler, and he hears us because he loves us. Because he said, of such is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray.
Our gracious God and merciful Father, what a joy it is knowing how dearly we are loved by you, our Father in heaven. You accept us in the beloved, and we are deeply loved. Teach us to live like that, without fear, that we might shine that same character to the world around us, so the world might see us and know that we have a Father in heaven who is safe for his children. In Jesus' name, amen.